Welcome to the Fizzle Show, Goats! That's our new intro for right now. I'm going to try it out for a little bit. Goats, more on that later. In this episode, it is the end of Audience Month. April was Audience Month. If you missed it, we did interviews with a bunch of people asking how do they define their audience? Uh, How do they figure out what they should make for that audience of all the possible things that they can make? And in this episode, we do feature two more experts weighing in on how they do that, along with Q&A from you, the listener, including an earnest one where we need to kind of straighten out a bit. Again, we are The Fizzle Show. You know who we are, creative and independent entrepreneurs. We're not crazy about the word entrepreneur, but we want to earn a living doing something that we care about. If you feel the same, you're in the right place. There are three of us guys here on the show. If we were different eras of Obi-Wan Kenobi through the movies of Star Wars, I, Chase Reeves, would be the young Obi-Wan from the prequels. Energetic, engaging, chock full of story, important mind tricks. Corbett Barr, he'd be Obi-Wan from A New Hope. Wise, soft-spoken, there to provide us with the tools necessary to complete our quest. And Caleb Wojcik, he'd be dead Obi-Wan. Rarely heard from, but when he does make an appearance, you better listen. (laughs) I love that one. Thanks, Brendan. Uh, I'll be back after this to fill in any gaps, so let's get right into our conversation today. Caleb, Corbett, how's your father? (laughs) You're just going to come come right out and say it? I'm just going to come right out and say it. In fact, you know, when we were together recently, we did a little research on the background of How's Your Father. Corbett, why don't you tell us uh, what How's Your Father refers to? I feel like we were duped because I started reading on uh, whatever uh, Urban Dictionary about How's Your Father, and <laughs> there's this really long entry, and I was like, oh, this is delightful. Yeah. Um, it does sound really scientific, comes, yeah. <laughs> how's Your Father comes from some old Victorian thing, and uh, I was reading through it for, I don't know, telling you guys for three or four minutes about all this stuff, and then it just got like more and more far-fetched, and we realized, I think, that we were being duped. It was a great entry. But I don't think anyone actually knows where it comes from. However, yeah, it does. That's right. I forgot. Actually, I forgot about that. We were. <laughs> it starts telling this whole story about like, and that's when the father would affectionately jump out from his from yeah, the, from the skirt and and thwart the oppressor. Exactly. <laughs> Something like that. It's it was it was good. So yeah. I'll put that in the show notes. A link to the urban urban dictionary uh, thing, the title on. Uh, and how's your father? Uh, but guys, okay, we've we've uh, we've we've done some we've done some catch up. We've done some some fizzle like full on. Uh, like we did a retreat, our first like official company sort of retreat. I mean, we've gotten together before, but this was like we went somewhere and we planned out the next uh, several months, and we have themes and sprints and all this other stuff. And the cherry on the on the top of this thing is we hired Barrett Brooks. As a Fizzle member success specialist, and we're just absolutely thrilled about it because uh, he's just awesome guy already. I mean, he's only been on the team for like a week now, uh, and what you'll be you'll be hearing from Barrett on the show, and, and he's doing he's already doing some great work within Fizzle, helping people find the things that they need most, helping us understand more about how to make Fizzle better. Ultimately, just another great voice on the team. Now, uh, before we go any further, we have some great question and answers to get into this week. I want to share the last two interviews that I did with interesting people who are building businesses and doing things uh, about how they define an audience for a thing. And these two guys are unique because they actually come from like 
big time advertising, really successful advertising world. And I don't know if you know this, Corbett, but I re- I watched uh, this talk that Steve Blank did. Uh, Steve Blank's the guy who who wrote Four Steps to the Epiphany. He's sort of like the godfather of the lean startup movement. Le- the lean startup book is essentially uh, a simplification of Steve Blank's principles. Okay, he's been a teacher at Stanford for a long time, big time consultant, yada yada yada, entrepreneur guy, and he came up with this concept called customer development, based off of what happens uh, is you build. He saw this theme: you build a product, or you you, you do some ideation, you do some whiteboarding, you do some work, you fi- you build, figure out what product you're going to build, you decide to build it, you get the CEO on board, they get an engineering team involved, and and everybody's like, okay, we do the thing, we plan out the next 14 months of development, and then we waterfall process this all the way out to the first release of this thing, and that's when we get a marketing and advertising team involved, and that's when the marketing and advertising team decides to do some research to discover what do people expect from this thing, what what kind of ways can we com- communicate with them and p- communicate the value of this thing to them what they start doing the market research of how we're actually going to sell and do this thing and that's when these companies after you know 14 to 24 months of development uh realize oh my god we made the wrong product or something like that you know and then they just launch it anyway and either it fizzles out or or whatever so what he decided to do is he saw that or what he, what he saw is this pattern of uh and corbett you know this book a lot better than me this is just i'm just kind of telling you what steve blank said he said he saw some companies were doing that market research stuff early on and 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 it ended up affecting the product that they ended up making and he called this customer development and that we call it you know defining your audience or something like that and that's sort of the root of this whole lean startup movement is this concept of customer development is a is a worthwhile valuable process should be going on at least a little bit before product development and then alongside it so that you know what the minimum features that you can make so that we're actually making these people pleased anyways all that to say these are two guys from the ad world who have been doing this kind of stuff for a very long time and and have developed their own processes for it. I wasn't expecting to say so much on it, but I hope that that's kind of helpful, right, guys? It provides a little context for this stuff. It's super helpful, and I feel like you never expect to say so much on anything. I am cutting all this out. <laughs> all right, let's hear from these guys. Here's John Collins from Sincerely Truman, an interactive and creative agency in Portland, Oregon. Hey, dude. Hey, Honky there. You there? Can you hear me? Can you feel me near you? I'm in. I'm in. Oh, I like you. You're here. Okay, John Collins, here's my question for you. Um, You're somebody who works with a lot of clients who is putting together creative campaigns, a lot of marketing materials, a lot of trying to tell someone's story and, you know, the seconds that it takes to that you you actually have someone's attention online or, or elsewhere or something like that. And so here's my question is... What, if any, work do you guys end up doing there at Sincerely Truman to figure out who uh, who you're targeting with this message, what their real problem is, like how to communicate to them and stuff like that? Yeah, we go through an exercise where we we look at all the different personas, all the different people who who they're trying to message, and then we... We get to know those people. I mean, personas are uh, trying to categorize a, kind of the biggest swath of of type of person as possible without it becoming too generalized. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Yeah. And so you end up with like two or three or four of these personas, depending on you know who this is, who this, what this thing is. Yeah. Um, 
And then, yeah, we just try to, we try to personify them into one person. We give them a name and we give them an occupation and we give them an age and an ethnicity. And we kind of go all out so that you kind of really get to know them. So when you think about this persona, they're like someone sitting in the room with you. So it sounds like um, there's something we, I've come into contact with that just recently. Uh, I can't remember the, the name. It's what are the user, user experience model or something, some silly name like that. But you're just drawing out. Uh, someone kind of drawing their face a little bit, and you're ta- and you're brainstorming and writing out what they are thinking. Uh, it, well, yeah. you, you ask this person a problem uh, or you, a question, rather, essentially, and you're charting through what do they think, what do they feel, what do they say, and what do they do about this sort of question and and, and in this sort of environment. Is yeah. that sort of a similar thing that you guys do? Well, yeah. Uh, well, once we kind of once we get to know them the way that we try to think about um, what they're motivated by mm. is then we, we create a story map for them. So what, um, what conflicts are they experiencing? What is success for them? And then what do we want them to do? Mm. Um, and usually, and, and it's really great if what we want them to do actually solves their problem. That's mm. when you know that you're going to succeed. And so we, that's a good exercise. What are they thinking, feeling, um, you could do it that way. We tend to just think more pragmatically, like what do they yeah. need to succeed? Yeah. So you kind and of take this, questions? this story method, uh, or, or like, I like the idea of like, what's their conflict right now? What, are, what are they motivated by? Um, what are, yeah. what does success look like for them? Those are all really like powerful questions. And then that, that final question of like, what do we want them to do? Which is sort of getting to the business goals and uh, that we actually have for these clients. Yeah. And then one other question we ask is what, what um what questions are they going to have and we want to answer those questions so that's mm. that's when we have to start to think about how are they feeling what are they thinking like are they going to be scared that this is going to create vendor lock in or are they going to be uh scared that they're going to look bad or whatever like so it gets to the feelings and then sometimes it's um are they going to need to be convinced by certain lines of argument so we're like what, so that's more about the thinking yeah I like that. So you're getting in, so that brings you into like their objections and the classic copywriting stuff where you're like, okay, let's, let's handle all these objections that they have up front so that they're not left with any questions essentially. Um, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Now, have you ever, I don't know, you've done a lot of, you've done a lot of these projects. You've made a lot of amazing things. Can you, are there any stories that stick out to your mind about how uh, the whole thing changed once you did these sort of things? You thought it was going to go this way, and then you did these exercises and went another way, or maybe like you released something and it ended up not going great because you kind of missed out on this big thing. Because one of the things I see happening, because I've been in I've been in agencies before where we're just literally spitballing these ideas, making it up as we go, hoping to God that mm-hmm. that we're getting it right about what they're actually thinking, feeling, and perceiving. And for me, there's this interesting balance between me being intelligent and insightful because like you know you can find a bunch of quotes from whatever henry ford and and uh who's that one guy that started that apple company steve jobs that's right yeah, uh you can find a lot of quotes uh, from these guys about like you know customer Great doesn't job. know shit, you know what i mean they don't know what they want they don't know any of this stuff you have to give them what they want without but they could never tell if you know the whole the if if I would have asked the customer what they wanted, I would have made a faster horse, you know? Um, 
And so it's like this weird balance between kind of inciting and being intuitive about what they actually want, what they actually struggle with better than they can even say so themselves. And at the same time, also just, no, just, just listening and empathizing and seeing and being like, no, this is how this would feel uh, if I was in that, that place. And this is what I would want. I don't know. I, I find this really interesting, this really difficult balance between those two. Do you know, does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. I, you know what we uh we really believe that if if you're doing something that's creating value in the marketplace and someone wants it so really the job is to find out who who is this actually adding value to mm-hmm. and then market to them and tell them the truth about why this is important and the truth is sometimes not not that interesting so you have to you have to sex it up or you have to like whatever but but the point is to get their attention because you actually are going to give them value mm-hmm. um, and not get distracted by the people that you're not actually bringing value to. So you know, we're working with a client where they have three very, very concrete personas. One is a buyer. One is more of a project manager, let's say, yeah. not the title, but the, and then the other one is like the engineer. And, um, and what we realized was we actually don't care to win the buyer. In fact, we're not bringing any value to the buyer. The buyer just wants the like the the, the cheapest option. They're they're going to look good when they get a better deal. And uh, that's just not how we were positioning this brand. Yeah. So we just had to make a concerted effort up front to like get to know the persona, get to know who they were, but then realize, okay, we're just gonna um, we're not going to message towards them, and mm-hmm. we're not going to worry about them. We're not bringing value to that person. Um, they're only going to we're only going to bring value to them if if the engineer tells them like, look, no, we have to work with these guys for other reasons. So just do it. Yeah. Then they're going to play ball. Mm. So you just kind of uh, are able to get clarity onto how you're messaging up front. Yeah. And I, I really like this framework that you have about um, using these words like whether the, what's their conflict, what does success look like for them, and then what do we want them to do? Are there other questions you ask? Or are those like the really big ones up front? Yeah, those are the four. Like, yeah, what what are their what success for them? What conflicts do they have? What questions do we need to answer, and what do we want them to do? Yeah. So those are the four questions we ask of them up front, and then. Um, and then we play around with just like when we build things, we we think of ourselves like a tour guide for that person. So, um, I mean, this is where it gets kind of abstract. We don't like best practices necessarily, but if we're going to build an interactive site and it's for this person, I really want us to think like, okay, we're taking this person on a tour of this idea. And this is a very particular person uh, who has specific questions and has specific conflicts. And, so we're kind of entering into that person's story at a moment in time, and we're actually trying to become a storyteller to kind of bring them on a journey mm-hmm. so that the, when that journey's over, they see the value in that thing, um, which is just what good storytelling is. Yeah. And so um, that's, uh, that's, that's why we want to know them is because ultimately we're going to be, we're going to be hanging out with them. Yeah, oh, I like that. All right, John, what's uh, one thing? I have two questions for you. What's one thing that you've done recently uh, that someone out there could find right now? Um, let's see. I mean, I think I kind of I'm, I'm want to just tell people to go look at the, the Dear J.J. Abrams thing, even though it's not brand new. Oh, yeah. It's just so sure. freaking cool. Okay, so if you want to see something that John's made, go search YouTube for Dear J.J. Abrams 
and then and then one day when we're having cocktails you can ask me about how jj abrams called you guys and i'll make up a story about he, how he did that <laughs> but he did do that yeah. right he called you guys and figured yeah yeah, yeah. and then we went down and hung out with him oh my god well he wasn't there with his people oh with his people i love that okay and then yeah. where could people find out more about uh, you and sincerely truman and what you guys are up to yeah, sincerelytruman.com. There's actually, uh, I don't know, is this is this going up somewhere? There's, yeah, it's going to be in a there's podcast. A couple positions, there's a couple positions we just put online that I'm really excited for. We're hiring a senior integrated manager, and um, and we're hiring... These are people... Your podcast for people who don't want jobs, right? They're creating their own <laughs> Exactly. But, <laughs> but tell me about the job positions. You've got a senior integrative something, something. <laughs> I'm tired. I don't want that job. <laughs> and a technical lead. Like, we... Uh, like a really smart developer who wants to architect things. So uh, they're, they're pretty high positions for us, and we're pretty excited because they're going to really be uh, big in, in designing where our shop goes in the future. Oh, I love that. All right, John, thanks for your time, man. Thanks, man. All right. Later. Here's Josh Chang, communications planning at Wyden and Kennedy, and some stuff on the side at panicandrun.com. Are you there? Can you hear me? Can you feel me near you? I feel you near me. Can you hear me? I can feel your nearness. Joshua Chang, oh, you gosh. are a, uh, an extraordinary uh, mind in advertising uh, or something. Or maybe, Some- you're, or maybe you're just like a Chinese-American with just a little <laughs> bit of cultural insight. Um, one of the two. But here's my question for you, sir. Okay. Um, you're someone who works with some of the biggest brands and a lot of different interesting, cool campaigns. And I'm talking to a lot of people who are building audiences, building products to sell to those audiences. You also have experience with this and making the shirts and doing the things that you do in your, in your spare time. So what I'm curious about is from that big advertising agency world perspective, right. what do you guys do to understand uh, the target market you're, you're trying to get to, understand what their pain is, understand what, <laughs> what they think, what they feel, et cetera, so that you know a campaign is going to resonate with them, uh, so that you know that it's culturally going to sink and work and things like that. What are the kinds of things that you guys do at Widen and Kennedy? Wow, that, that's a loaded question. It's so um, loaded, bro. And that's, that's what everyone wants to know, right? So I'm going to reveal all the secrets right now. Bow, bow, bow. Here it no, comes. no, um... No, that's that's a good question. I think, and from my level, obviously, yeah, we work with big brands with giant budgets and everything like that, yeah. right? But I mean, there's two sides of it, I, or I mean, the the overall biggest thing is, yeah, well, what what do you want to accomplish, and what is that goal? Is it to learn about a new market? Is it to test a hypothesis? You know, and and or and so it's like starting from there about the reason why you. Yeah, why you want, I guess, this new market or this audience or whatever. And then the, the two ways there is this kind of, uh, I'll say, like quantitative route and also this qualitative route. And for my role uh, specifically here, it, it is a lot about finding, well, once we know what this audience is, where are they? How do they consume messages? How do they act on them? And there's a lot of tools out there at my disposal in terms of seeing how on the quantitative side, how large these audiences are. And that's mm-hmm. everything from, I think, what a lot of people have access to, which is like Google or even Facebook Insights and stuff. And then yeah. there are some industry tools like Comscore and Simmons and MRI mm-hmm. that um, kind of, it's, it's, it's like cross-tab-based stuff. Where yeah, it, totally. It gets where, yeah, where you can just say, hey, I want to look at 
moms who have dogs and you know who are you know you can you could plug in the most random kind of uh, um <laughs> demographics and then it'll spit out like well here's the stuff that they're into and sure. here's how the index and all that stuff so there's like quantitative tools right that you can that you can use but then the qualitative side i think is what we uh especially what we're really good at and a lot of that is actually you're out in the field and talking to people and having them tell you who you who they are and what and and the truth behind you know what makes them them as well and you gather all that stuff together and then you kind of tell a story about like who is this person what is you know what we call like a consumer journey so to speak so it's like what are the type of things that 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 uh whether it's like what they do you know during the day or the night or anything like that or even what you know media they consume or whatnot i think it, it's this mix of this qualitative where you are out on the road and then this quantitative stuff like using, you know, industry tools so that you could figure out, is this a, you know, is this a sizable or scalable audience at all? Yeah. Um, what, <clears throat> what other specific things uh, have you guys done that, that you think have been like helpful? Uh, you know, what's interesting. I think, um, I think this is something that people, I think it's public. I think uh, for, for Old Spice, for example, um, you know, with the Old Spice guy. Of course I do. So that actually came from uh, an insight that the people who are actually buying deodorant are actually not men, but mm-hmm. it's actually like women and like people's, like guys' girlfriends and stuff like that. And then so once we started like looking into that, that, I mean, the whole campaign then became all about like, okay, how do we reach, you know, these wives and girlfriends and stuff yeah, like yeah. that, right? Um, but uh, go back to your question. So what do you mean specifically by that? Well, that, that's a great example. I mean, I, I, what I'm curious about, like, I have a bunch of, like, little things that I do where I try to get into the story of, of first of all, I try to nail it down to one single person. I find that right. there's, a, there's a big difference between, uh, there, there's a lot of people in two camps. One of them is uh, all this quantitative research. Right. Look, at, look at the swarm Look at yeah. how the swarm behaves. And then another approach is, no, 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 don't find one person that you know in real life. Totally. Um, and it might be yourself two years ago, but find that person today. Um, totally. And what's their name? And then let's figure, and then like uh, one of the conversations we had with, uh, for this podcast with uh, Tara Gentili, uh, mm-hmm. she has this great process for, and well, the, the concept to her is, as humans, we're actually really, really, really adept at understanding emotionally about someone All right. it, through conversation as we pick those things up, whether it be body language or voice tone or something like that. This is a biologically, I mean, this is, you know, something that's developed in us as humans over millions of years, right? right. We're really, really good at it. We're much better and quicker and it's much better, quicker, faster, cheaper to do it that way than to, than to do all the big data stuff, which can also be really good. Right? Yep. And, and you, Chase, you know what? Yeah. And that totally depends on yeah who, who you end up presenting this stuff to, because that route of just getting to know somebody is all, that's, I, in my opinion, kind of the best way to go. So yeah. you can make it tangible and stuff because even like it's hard. And that's always the hardest thing looking at a ton of numbers and, and, and making like giving it a personality and stuff. And I know on, on a few brands that we work with, yeah, we, we have kind of, where you do single out, like, here's a specific person that we want to go after, and they yeah. become like a muse, right? Mm-hmm. That you end up, you know, studying and targeting and then you aspiring to kind of, yeah, reach. And that's like essentially like who, yeah, who resembles your brand and who's the ideal fit for your brand and who defines, you know, who's going to be that ambassador. So I think, yeah, that, that route, but it's, it's, it's hard because uh, once you get that person, it's, 
Depend, yeah. Well, well, at least I'm starting to think about the side also about like, well, who are you trying to like present this to, or who you're yeah. trying to sell this through? And and I mean, it's hard to make people like understand, yeah, <laughs> like what you're feeling totally. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, you 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 get it, and I know that um, that who that muse is should. I mean, hopefully, as your business evolves, that that may evolve also, or it may just always stay constant. But yeah. Um, yeah. So here's my like specifically thinking of that example of Old Spice. Um, do so you do? I, I could easily see how you know the quantitative research uh, leads to uh, yeah. uh, this insight that women and girlfriends and wives are buying the deodorant yep. for the men, um, and it might be really. I mean, maybe that, that maybe that actually comes really quick when you like have a buddy who uses deodorant. He's like, yeah, I don't really actually buy deodorant very often. <laughs> like you know, Trisha does that or whatever, right? Um, that that's kind of interesting, especially if it happens a couple different times. Uh, then it's a question of how do I make something that resonates with the girlfriends and right. and the wives? Um, and from that process on, is there any sort of insights that you guys have in that price process? Is there something, is there a process or is that just a bunch of creatives drinking beer and smoking weed, <laughs> throwing darts at the wall? And like, totally. We saw, we solve it in 10 minutes, right? Yeah. You know, um, you, so I, I, dig, digging deeper into that, I think it's this, Truth that, yeah, okay, if we find out, you know, through sales data or whatever like that, that girlfriends are buying deodorant, um, we know that also, like, well, I, I think the approach that we went was we know that, you know, boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, wives, they probably watch, like, television together or do stuff together, yeah. right? So, in a way, we wanted to create something that could resonate with both, uh-huh. but still kind of skew more towards reaching that woman. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, it's it's... Wait, well, it's funny. What you got to convince me of is how did that ever end up in the power? Then and the dude, the dude riding the horse backwards, and the, I guess no, actually, because he's talking to ladies. Don't you want yeah, your man? He's to talking smoke? to ladies. That's he's like, right. hey, ladies, look at your man. Look at yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. but you as a dude, you're sitting there watching that too, and you're like, that was hilarious. Yeah. And yeah. I want, yeah. And it was like so reverent, and so so it kind of tapped in. I, I think the magic there was yeah, it reached both people. But subliminally, it was definitely going after your woman. Yeah, it, start, <laughs> it starts there. It's uh, you know, and, and that, as, as a creative, someone's trying to create something out of nothing. That's all we need is like some sort of little insight, some sort of little start. It's funny you, you say you yep. mentioned the muse. You, that someone becomes your muse, and that's a really good way of putting this idea that when we really can sink our teeth into the tangibility, right. when it's really tangible, who we're making this for. We have insights and we know like, you know, I don't want to waste any time teaching about this. You probably already know that stuff. I want to get right into that. And now you go, boom, look what just happened. You just notched down like four layers into your niche and just focused on this one thing. Uh, And that became a very specific problem that you saw that this person that's very specific to you has. And now it's really tangible. And I find that as the creator, that helps so much uh, just to have an insertion point in some ways, you know? Yep. No. And, and a lot of brands I work with, yeah, actually for, for what in here, sometimes we do start with that way of finding who, yeah. And ta- telling that story of here's who, you know, this ideal muse is mm-hmm. and then, and then, and then having that kind of be our narrative. It's, it's looking for those little insights, right. Mm-hmm. And those the detention. And that's probably the hardest part because people are just like talking normally and stuff like that. But you're like on the other side yeah. trying to figure out what is this truth I could tap into. Yeah. And it's that, yeah. and it's that word truth, you know, in that John yeah. Jay video you sent me. Yeah. Uh, it's that word. What is the truth about your organization or about this person or about yes. uh, what's going on? And it's funny thing is, it, 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 maybe this is the same for you guys, but in everything that I've done that I'm really proud of or that I feel like has been quite successful, 
or that has both of those that it's successful and I'm proud of it because there's been some that are successful I'm not proud of and some that I'm proud of that aren't successful <laughs> yeah. but um but the things that are both successful and I'm proud of them there's always some sort of uh, little insight that I had, and typically it's just one. It's one insight that is yep. something that I didn't read anywhere. It's something I intuited about this audience or about totally. this person. Um, because I think the nature of that word truth, the nature of the truth about people is it's actually, uh, the, it's actually hard to, to understand what's true about me. That's, yes. You know? You know what you're getting into? This is like kind of the, the art and science of all this stuff too and the art and science of truth. Oh, now we're getting really deep, right? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go deep. Because No, because that's what it is. I mean, and that's why I was kind of mentioning it's so hard. It's like hard to convince sometimes like people in suits, like here's what I'm seeing. Yeah. And you can have all the quantitative or qualitative research, but they'll be like, I don't believe in that. Totally. So. <laughs> totally. And that's where it's almost like you have to, anyways, I just, I can only imagine the struggle of, of needing to present to a client to convince them of something that you know is true for this market. Yes. Uh, it's two different pitches for the same, for the yeah. same thing, yeah. you know? Yeah. But uh, yeah, that concept of truth it, it, and what is, because I think, I love the way that John Jay put it in that video where it's like our job is simply to listen and to empathize yeah. so that we can speak back to you what the truth is about totally. your business, about your company, yep. about your audience or whatever. And I like that, I like that uh, model a lot for, for, a lot of the, for anything that we're doing in any sort of advertising or marketing capacity. But uh, getting to the truth of something, um, it's, it's never, truth is never a pitch for a timeshare. It's never like that. Truth, yeah. and the, the truth about, about selling something that's real is never uh, all that inspirational in that way, but it always has a little bit of inspiration. Totally. It always has a little bit of guttural sort of uh, vulnerability. It always has a little bit of these sorts of things. And I find that it's that recipe of balancing out that vulnerability with a little uh, you know, self-flagellation and a little bit of, of aspiration and, uh, and desire for the future, but an understanding of it's going to take work. Like, and trying to balance those out in a way that doesn't, that actually sounds like you're saying something new versus something old uh, yep. is, is kind of the thing to me. I don't know. It's curious. No, that's uh, that's the secret to branding. Not the secret, but that's what good brands are, right? So so really quickly, Josh, tell me uh, where people could find your cool shirts that you make online. Oh, like, gosh. Like Illard. <laughs> Just where could they find that? Uh, um, panicandrun.com. Panicandrun.com. Yeah. I love that. Well, man, thanks for, uh, thanks for spending some time with me. All right, Chase. Have a good one, man. You too. Thank you. Okay, love that stuff. Again, the book is coming out on customer development. It's a little guide to customer or to audience defining your audience and stuff. And and it sh- it'll be out probably by the time this airs, uh, if not a few days after that. You'll see on this show notes page, which is what episode is this, Caleb? I believe this is. Oh, you put me on the spot. But I need yeah, to remember this that is episode. the spot, bro. I guess it's the next one going out, right? So so 50, this is going to be fifty one. <laughs> yes, fifty one. Okay. Writing, writing that down so I don't forget. So you can find us at fizzleshow.co slash 51. That's 5-1. That's where you can get this book. Uh, uh, also, okay, let's get, into the, let's get into the question and answer. It's time. I'm ready. I'm sorry, I've been just like, this has been my warm-up to get ready for these question and answer <laughs> all stuff. Right. So, all right, Caleb, give He's us what ru- you got. You're running out of the bullpen now? You're ready to yeah. take them out? Okay, yeah. good. Ah! <laughs> Is my, that a pitcher sound? That's my rage call. <laughs> that's what pitcher. That's what I like. do. I'm, out, I'm in the outfield. I don't go, hey, batter. Hey! Better, better, hey, better, hey, better. I don't do that stuff. I just go. Ah! <laughs> okay. So, first question here is from Tom Southern. Hello, this is Tom Southern, and the question I'd love to hear your thoughts on is: Do you think that because 
bloggers are always giving to their audiences and giving a lot more than their audience can give back to them because of the very fact that they're there to get rather than give no matter how engaged loyal or generous they are to the blogger do you think that this causes an imbalance in the blogger audience relationship which can lead bloggers into feeling frustrated or even unfulfilled eventually so affecting the blog and the blogger at some point along the way and how do you think bloggers can best manage this imbalance to lessen the impact looking forward to hearing what you think about this cheers tom i absolutely love tom southern that, i, I, I don't God, know what to tom. think it almost sounds like he's like pranking us the whole time <laughs> he's got like a like kind of i just picture him with a smirk on while he's saying all that but i think it was I, sincere I love it. No, I just want, Tom, I want you to ask every single question that you have. I will play them all on the air because <laughs> they're considered, they're thoughtful. They. That's the problem. I'm used to working with you, Yahoo's, so I can't take anything seriously anymore. Yahoo's? Watch who you're calling Sir, a Yahoo. I yeah. despite thee. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got you guys both on that. That's good. This all is right. interesting. This so question. help me understand what the question is because I, I just like, it was like going through it. So is, is it, what, do, what did you hear? Well, He's saying that there's an imbalance, which which to me seems really intuitive if there's an imbalance between the blogger and the audience because there are millions of audience members out there and one blogger and the blogger's giving, giving, giving and the audience members don't necessarily give back because uh, it's kind of a one-way relationship, I think, mm-hmm. is what he's saying. Um, and I could see how you might picture it that way because for each individual in the audience it's difficult for them to give back to the blogger as much as the blogger has given to them if the blogger is doing a good job of you know, putting out useful stuff. But um, in the aggregate, when you create a big audience, eventually, you, know, you as a blogger, you're producing something and you're doing the same amount of work generally, whether you have one person in your audience or a million people in your audience. There's some scale there, but right. it's not entirely, you know, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not a direct correlation. So, um, as your audience grows, if you're doing it right, you're planting little seeds within your audience of people that will eventually give things back to you in the form of um, you know, supporting your work in some way or maybe buying something from you when you put it out there. And the bigger and bigger that your audience gets, the more and more you receive back to the point where you eventually receive more from your audience than you're giving your audience, I feel, as a blogger, if you're doing things right. But I can yeah. see how in the beginning it might feel like if you're writing things and nobody's responding, then yeah, you're giving a lot and you're not getting anything back. But I think that's where um, you know either you haven't put enough time in, or you just haven't found something that's truly valuable enough for your audience to connect, to care and connect with. Yeah, I was thinking about like, so what do I get from the audience? Because I don't feel like I'm just giving, giving, giving. Sometimes I do. I mean, I give and I give and I give. You know, I wake up early, I make him breakfast, you know, I put food on the table, I get him to school with a clean nose and a clean pair of underwear, and then I work all day long. I finish work and I pick him up from school and I make dinner and put that on the table and I give and I give what's, and I give. What's your audience's name, Chase? <laughs> I don't want to get into it. All right. Uh, no, but uh, I'm kidding. 
the uh i was <laughs> it just i couldn't help but go into that because either it was parents fighting or my wife and i fighting or just like movies on tv and things like that where it's like i give and i give and i give and i don't get anything in return and i'm thinking what do i get in return from this and clearly we also get we get revenue right so we get purchases but i never started this for that i was doing this for a long long time before i made any money on it and i think you know i i'm the kind of person who has the insecurities of which that like tweets and comments and stories where i hear someone say to me the kind of thing that i've said to a uh, merlin man or louis ck or or Rob Delaney even, or someone like that, where it's like, oh my God, that made so much sense. It was so funny. And I'm so grateful that I found this because I was having a shitty day. You know, something like that where, uh, now that's for like a small sort of entertaining sort of thing. But then, like today, going through some of the, uh, one of the posts that, that Barrett brought up within Fizzle, where all these Fizzlers are sharing the, the podcast that they're listening to, and just hearing the wonderful things that people are actually saying about our show. Because I see so many like mixed reviews, or I hear so much and, and just assume that we're doing it such, such a wrong way. Because people who really think you're doing a great job, they, they say less than, than people who think you're doing a bad job. It, it seems to be, you know? And so it was just really good to, to like hear those stories and to hear the, just more people saying like I do really really like this show uh, and what these guys are doing. Uh, that's a kind of getting for me, and maybe it's a bad kind of getting because it just prones me towards being more receptive to stuff like that in the future, uh, which maybe I need to be less receptive in the end. But I don't know. I, I think I do get a lot from this, um, but it is a very curious question, Caleb. What are you hearing over there? Well, I think you need to determine what you're trying to get. I mean, th- that's kind of a weird phrase to say, but I mean, the point of blogging is to do things for people. So what do you, what kind of response are you expecting? Do you just want, do you want comments? Do you want tweets? Do you want people to take action? Do you want people to buy stuff? Do you want to start a movement? It's like, what do you, what is the point of this thing? What are you trying to get out of whatever it is you're doing? And then you can frame this relationship between you and your audience a little bit better when you know what your goals are. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's, I, I mean, you say the, the point of audience, uh, of blogging is to do something for your audience, but I think some of the biggest blogs that I follow, like, they're not interested in doing anything for me. They're writing as journalists or as thinkers about a thing. Uh, so they're sharing. They're, they're sharing and they're being thought leaders and they're, they're, they're like kind of journaling out loud trying to keep themselves on task. And they, I mean, they know there's an audience there too, right? But, um, it's just this really interesting balance. And I like, I really like this question, Tom, because there is a natural, imbalance here and a give 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 and a take 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 uh, on two different sides of this thing and the for me what's been really a, a process is learning how to how to, i could i could work really hard and get a handful of tweets and i could either feel really good or really bad because of that and i shouldn't let that affect myself my the way i feel about what i've written so much i mean that's why doing like kind of corbett or caleb your 240 mornings post uh, the idea that no, the work is not actually to get more tweets. The work is like sometimes the work is just to do the work, mm. just to write the things, just to say there's 240 mornings I can make something on. Let's make 240 things this year, uh, and that there's something to that that I really really like, and that's seasonal because if you do that over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again and never get any of the get get back, never get any of the people finding your thing or the or the traction or the bigger traffic or the revenue or the whatever the things ends up being that you need to be able to support you in this it's burnout material you know yeah i I completely agree with you on that so tom thanks for the question man anything else to add corbett caleb you nailed it 
All right, let's get on to the next one. Thanks, Tom. Again, please, more questions from Tom Southern. <laughs> okay, so here's a question from Casey about uh, kind of about how you define your audience. So let's take a listen to this one. Hi, my name is Casey Schott from EmpoweredEntrepreneurRadio.com, and I'm really loving you guys' podcasts. Uh, I've been listening to it for a while, and I've recently uh, fell in love with podcasts, and I listen to you guys more than anybody else because you all have so much entertainment and uh, personality in your podcast, and it has inspired me to put more of my own personality into my podcast, which is at the website that I just mentioned. But my question is, there's a lot of advice in the marketing world about looking at your target market, your target audience to see uh, what it is they want to offer value to them. And I get you guys' perspective on this. But what about looking towards the inside first and seeing what we have to offer and bringing that out and then applying it to uh, the market and the business and ultimately um, how big, I guess another question, or I'm not actually sure what I'm trying to ask here. Uh, so what do you, do you guys use intuition in your business at all, or is it all analytics and, you know, I'm going to figure out my market and what they want. And do you guys ever gauge what it is that like you're here to offer what your purpose is and putting that out? Or is that kind of take a back seat? Anyway, um, I know this is going kind of long, so I'm going to cut it short there and do the best with what I have presented to you. Thanks, guys. Uh, keep up the badass work. Oh, Casey, thank you, man. That's great. I like to hear the 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 earnest sort of struggling in there. Yeah, right? you like to hear how the sausage is made while a question is being asked. Yeah, I because I that's the way how I live my life. <laughs> Just making sausage, baby. <laughs> making sausage all day long. The the more the more questionable the sausage is, the spicier it gets. Yep. Um all right. So Corbett, what do you, what do you hear in that question? Well, we've answered this uh in a number of places before. The place that I've answered it most thoroughly, I think, is in the course in Fizzle called Choosing a Topic. Um, because this is kind of, you know, when everyone's starting out, they're wondering, what should I uh start my business on? You know, what problem should I attack? And how do I come about it? And I think most people either start from uh, their own perspective, like this is something I'm interested in, or this is something I'm good at, um, or this is just a problem that I have that I want solved. So some people come from their own perspective, and then others kind of look out there in the world and say, well, what's wrong with the world around me and what can I fix? Um, and kind of work backwards from there. So with the Choosing a Topic course, um, because there are these sort of uh, different directions at odds, we have a a decision matrix. I call it. It's a weighted average decision matrix that walk, walks you through this process and sort of assigns importance, weight to each of these things, and helps you evaluate each of your ideas. Because it's really easy to say, "Oh my God, there's a really big problem in the world. Uh, cancer exists, and I would love to solve that problem." But then you look backwards and you think, "Well, wait a second. I don't have the skills to do that necessarily. So how am I going to actually make a you know a worthwhile shot at solving cancer?" Yeah. Um, so he's right. I think you have to come from from it at both angles. And we've seen a number of really great little diagrams that kind of explain this. Um, 
Chris Gillibo had one for a long time where uh, the thing that you want to build or something that you want to build that's going to end up being successful needs to be the, at the intersection of three things. It's um, what you're good at, what the world needs, and uh, what people would be willing to pay you money for. Mm-hmm. So there's another thing there because sometimes there are problems in the world and maybe there's something that you could solve, but in the end, it's not something that people would necessarily be willing to pay money for a solution to. So that's another spin on it as well, another angle that you have to come from, I think. Yeah, and he calls that convergence, I believe. Yeah. Just writing that. I'm just making a little Venn diagram right now. <laughs> you had a Venn diagram recently, right, Chase? It was along these lines? Yeah, it was from uh, our... Uh, I think it was the previous podcast episode 40... Wait, is this 50 or 51? This is 51, I think. Okay. It was from uh, either 49 or 50. Um, this When we were talking about this audience stuff, and the, the dream is to find the overlap between what you want to build and what they want to buy, basically. Uh, and, I, and I say what, they wanna, what you want to build, what they want to buy, not just because it both ends with a B. This is kind of cute. But, uh, or the last word starts with a B. Uh, but this gets to this idea of like, what are they actually going to pay money for? You know, what are they actually willing? And this is something that Nathan Barry has said before, uh, that the only way to actually validate a business idea is when they actually start paying money for it. Mm-hmm. You can't just ask around, but I like, I like Casey's question here because I mean, we're really Casey, we are really heavy on talk on looking for the need in the market before you just, you know, plan the next year of your big time successful blog. Because we've seen too many people just give up completely because they have this idea about like, I really love, normally what happens is like you, you start thinking seriously about your life and like, man, this isn't the life I want to live and I'm going through some stuff and you learn about some like lifestyle design things and then you, you like try some stuff and you're like really liking it and you're mostly just really exciting and pa- excited and passionate about it and so you decide, I want to help other people do this thing even though you're not like an expert in it or something, you're just trying to figure it out yourself. And so then you, you, that your dream is now to start up a blog, a blog that helps people design their lifestyle to be more passion, love, uh, more do what you care about, right? Uh, this is, we've seen this pattern so many times uh, and people do that and just, we never hear from them again after a little while. Because it's a, it's a hard market to make an impact in. There's a lot of competition because all of these realities of the business marketplace. I mean, the world is literally a jungle. Like you will bit, get your face bitten off by a creature in the night. That's the world that we live on right now. Uh, and always has been. And it, the monsters look differently than they, than they used to. They're no longer like Tyrannosaurus Rexes and saber toothed tigers and things. Now they're, they're like, <laughs> they're just, they're, I don't know, not making any money and eating. Not even not having money for food or for rent or for things like this, like the there's monsters that exist still. Um, so the reason why we're so we we're so heavy on on does this need actually exist is because so many people in our audience have come from it from the other side for so long. The intuition and passion and desire angle that that I think Casey's talking about here, and I have too. I mean, that's where I come from. I totally come from that world of of just making things that I want to make. Father Apprentice was a great mix of what I want to make and what I thought would there'd be a market for. So for me, it's just the two circles. One of them is what do I want to build? And the other one is uh, what, what are they willing to buy or what do they want to buy? 
And the mix between the two, and it doesn't have to be some like crazy market research, just enough to know like can they pay, will they pay, and a handful of things that you're going to find in this guide to audience development, which will, or audience defining your audience, which you'll you'll find on this show notes for this page. Does that, does that make sense to you guys? So much. It makes so much sense. I couldn't say anything. <laughs> okay, Caleb, you got a uh, you got another one for us. Yes, yeah, so we have a written in one here from Fizzler John Corcoran, or Corcoran, as you like to call him, Chase. Corcoran. Corcoran, okay. Uh, he says, I've noticed recently some blogs somehow tend to gather a critical mass of, quote, negativity. A lot of commenters who all make really negative comments below their posts. So, for example, check out Get Rich Slowly, which gets a lot of negative chatter in the personal finance space, versus something like Social Triggers, which has lots of, quote, me too, happy, happy, joy, joy chatter. How do you think the blog owner... Or do you think the blog owner deletes negative comments in general and only keeps the positive ones? Or is there some way to try to encourage only positive comments? Corbett? Yeah, I mean, well, I don't know. Did he suggest just deleting negative comments? Because that's one option. He says, do you think blog owners delete negative comments and that's why they all look positive? Well, I know that some do because I have. But Mm -hmm. not to say that I delete negative comments just because they're negative, but I do delete ranty, uh, trollish comments. Inflammatory or trollish comments, sure. Yeah, I don't think those have any, you know, you you don't have to publish anything that you don't want to. Um, I think there's a balance, obviously, if people think that you're really cherry-picking comments, then they might be less likely to leave anything meaningful um, or to stick around. So there is a balance there. And, And I appreciate constructive criticism, but it needs to come from a respectful place. So, you know, because our blog is small enough, we can avoid it becoming something like uh, like The Verge or Lifehacker or something that's really big and you might have people that are just assholes in there for, for being YouTube assholes. YouTube comments. Exactly. Or Although YouTube those are getting comments. better now because they're tied to people's Google Plus accounts, so they're a little less anonymous, but in the past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah and, and that's a frustrating thing if you run a YouTube account or something that's public that has comments enabled by default and you can't control those because you're not able to delete them or whatever. Um, I don't know what you can do with YouTube, but it is frustrating to get out there in that public sphere when you're used to operating in something that you can control a little bit more. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's uh, interesting to see how much comments can add to the conversation. Like, um, I mean, there's been a few things that I've written that uh, a neg- one or two like negative comments kind of pick up a, a good deal of steam. Uh, on that, and, and normally it's like pointing at, at a g- gap or a hole in the story that I've told or some sort of like, well, it's sort of weird that you would say this after you said that. Like, those two don't go together. It's like, yeah, because I was kind of actually I didn't think that through well enough so so it, it is con- that constructive criticism um that and then the worry is then that they'll miss that everybody who reads after it was going to miss like the, there's actually still good stuff uh just because of the the negativity that that kind of gets voted up in the discus comments but and it is a balance i mean i've deleted plenty of comments off the off the spark line just because they were i clearly spam or like just like this doesn't add anything and this isn't even good but i've let a lot of of negative comments go through but it, it's weird because like you know i always i always think in that situation what, what derek halpern would do because i know he'd have some f-ing, <laughs> some preference about this f-ing. like you kidding me i wouldn't let that shit on my blog not unless I'm going to actually say something about it and call this person out and make him look like an idiot. You know, then I'll let it go on the blog. This is my blog. I made this blog. <laughs> I can just picture him doing that. Um, and and he, I've seen him do that plenty of times where he just like he like 
flame outs on someone or flames out on someone. But it's interesting because John, because you can't you can't make positivity happen if if you're writing a boring live positively like sort of generic blog then then maybe you will make positivity happen uh not all the time but but this is uh this is just the natural process of learning to become a better writer learning how to anticipate where people are going to land on this thing and then if there's if there's like you said carbon i mean if there's trolls like you just get rid of the trolls you know yeah Um, i i I think there's something deeper here though because i I believe you can make positivity happen not in like some you know um not the secret kind of thing. Yeah, not not in the secret kind of. <laughs> thank you. Um, no, but I mean on on your blog, I don't think there's any reason why you can't expect that if uh, you're being earnest and respectful to your audience and really trying to help them, that they won't mostly uh, reflect that back to you. Well, and mostly they would. I'm just saying, there's just no way to protect from the trolls. Right, a, a, a troll gets in. Yeah, yeah, sure. But if you look yeah. at an audience like. Uh, get rich slowly or whatever he mentioned and not that i'm intimate with that audience but if the comments are negative all the time then i think there's a broader issue there either it means that the trolls have taken over and the respectful commenters the true audience just feels like they can't comment anymore because they're going to get thrashed um and that's something you have to watch out for because those the negative the negativity can take over and then your real audience can um be afraid to step in there yeah. So you have to police things because of that. Or it could mean that that blog now has a really poor relationship with its audience. Maybe it doesn't really have an audience. Maybe it just has people that stumble upon posts um, via Google or stumble upon or something. Mm-hmm. And it's not a true audience anymore. So it could be a reflection of some deeper issue there, I think. And um, you have to be careful with that and and um, and sort of monitor that over time and just think about what's going to happen if I let these negative comments come through or what happens if i let spam get through in my comments then people think that i'm not really paying attention or listening or whatever and it's just going to become a a, a downward spiral i think Mm, totally all right john hopefully that answers your question pal cor corin uh we got time for one more maybe we have something short and sweet caleb that we could just kind of uh get into real quick actually the next one up is kind of long but uh i think our answer is going to be fairly quick Okay, let's hear it. All right, so this question comes from Joseph, and I'm going to read it. It's kind of long, but here it goes. I really want to build a newsletter. I want to do something similar to Next Draft, uh, which is a newsletter that changed my opinion about newsletter letters. Links with a little bit of comment equals great newsletter. I publish a big entertainment blog that curates funny and weird content all over the web with some original content. I pay some writers sometimes to write features for the websites. I pay them from the money I get from ads on my blog, which is about 600 a month. And right now I'm paying about $50 for hosting. Now it's been about two years since I opened the blog and I make the 600 a month I mentioned, but I still can't afford a newsletter. MailChimp is great and I love this company, but they're extremely expensive. All the other providers, every single one of them are too. Let's say I went with a free plan with MailChimp. A few months later, I may have 2000 subscribers. Then let's say I have 30,000 subscribers. Do you know how much those 30,000 subscribers will cost me? They will cost me $215 a month. That's more than any expense I put on my website today, and I'm pretty sure after a year, the list will be huge, and that will cost me way, way more than the revenue I'll get. That's my favorite part. Which means the newsletter will be like having another blog. In fact, it will cost me more than running the main thing, the blog itself. What I think might happen if I provide a newsletter is this. It'll be working fine for 2,000 members, but after this, I'll have to shut it down. Why should I provide it if it's going to be shut down anyways? 
Plus, it will not look good for the readers in my blog. Why is it so expensive? I mean, it's really, really expensive. It's so expensive, only huge companies can afford it. How can I provide a newsletter? Please answer me reasonably. Thanks. This is a great question, Joseph. Um, and it, it is uh, sort of, it, from where I am, it seems a little bit of a silly question. Um, but I do want to say thank you for asking because I actually, I mean, I've been kind of there before. Uh, I've never bought autoresponders for any of my little things uh, just because I'd have to pay for it. And I've never grown my father apprentice or ice to the brim list beyond any sort of range where I would need to, because where I'd need to pay for anything. So all those things are still free for me. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Where do you want to go with this, Corbett? Where do you go first? Well, uh, you know, first, congrats on getting to $600 a month with your blog. That's something that, you know, 99% of bloggers probably won't get to. So good job on that. Um, and I think there's also a legitimate concern here, kind of depending on where you want to go with your site. If you're doing a site just for fun and you're really not paying attention to how to earn revenue from it, then yeah, expenses are a legitimate sure. concern in terms of you have all of these different things and they add up over time and it can get expensive if you don't have your eye on the ball and are, you're not working on ways to um, to pay for those expenses. But I think that he's also sort of dismissing how difficult it is to build an email list of 30,000 people, just mm-hmm. the example that he uses, even to build it to 2,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um and if you do the math on $215 or whatever he said a month into 30,000 people, you would have to earn just seven-tenths of a penny per person per month to pay for that. And I can't imagine that for any site that he's able to build a list of 30,000 people that he couldn't, just with an advertisement or something, earn seven-tenths of a cent per subscriber per month. Um, let alone much more than that. If if he's done the work to figure out what it takes to get thirty thousand people on the email list, yeah. he's probably addressing a significant problem, need, or desire that then he could find products that those people would be interested in buying, yeah. um, whether he creates them himself or he sells them mm-hmm. as an affiliate or whatever. So, and it's a good example of just uh, of like, yeah, you could build a huge. He said he runs a really big uh, entertainment site. And it's cool to make a really, to have a really big site with a lot of people on it. It's not cool to not be able to a, get in touch with them, B, uh, get them to buy something because they might not be buying, buying anything from you. So this audience, uh, there's, this is a viable business opportunity to sell advertisements. It's just not very profitable compared to having a hundred people who are, who 10 of them are willing to buy something for $250 from you. Um, there's just a, it's a completely wild. I love that both of these are options. You know, that, that you could go to a very small profitable audience or a huge, very, you know, small, smally revenueable audience. These are both true in our world today. Um, and yeah, I guess you can, you can ask yourself, you know, which way you want to go. Because to me, the email list makes money because now I have, uh, now I can know who these people are. I can get in touch with them and have something that, that they'd be willing to buy from me. And maybe that's not your business goal at all. Then, then, then don't. Don't do the email list. But it is absolutely ridiculously difficult to get to a 30,000-person email list, even if you have a million people on your website, especially if it's something that they're like, just whatever, news of the day, mm-hmm. randomly getting, you know, surfing around, stumbling upon, that, that kind of thing. And we should, we should wrap this up. But, but Caleb, anything else to add? No, just going to say, call us when you have 30,000 subscribers and see if $215 matters to you a month. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great good way of putting it. But Joseph, I do thank thank you for the question. 
This is awesome. I like that. It's a, it's a great tag on the end of the audience month of like, you know, you can build a really big audience and still not be able to afford $200 a month in email stuff, you know? Um, so if it matters which audience you end up digging in on. So guys, I feel like audience month has been a success. Huh? Like defining your audience. We've got a book coming out, a little quick guide. It's going to be really quick and, and to the point. We've got... Um, Bunches of interviews with uh, with people who are movers and shakers in their respective industries, and heard their best tips and tricks and hacks and life hacks for uh, for defining their audience. Um, uh, we've got lots of questions from people. All all Caleb, great job getting these questions together all around audience stuff. Uh, and again, I just got to say, Tom Southern, you gotta you gotta ask more questions, man. I just want more from you. <laughs> I think I've been Chase Warbin Reeves. I'm pretty sure that I've been Corbett Barr. And I have and always will be Kill Bodrick. <laughs> so constant. Ooh, snap. So constant. <laughs> so there you have it. Our thanks to Tom, Casey, John, and Joseph. Uh, let's get some ladies in here next time, eh? Come on, we can do that. Fizzleshow.co slash 51. That's 5-1. That's where you can ask questions. I've got a link right there. So ladies, add your voice so that next time we do a Q&A, we will answer, answer all women instead of this time is all men. Sorry about that, y'all. And on that page, again, fizzleshow.co slash 51, you'll also find an exceptional video of some Brian Regan comedy that I sort of loosely referenced in the episode you just listened to, as well as a link to Chris Gilbo's Convergence article, which is very good. Also, while you're there on the page, you can get the free book that we made on defining your audience. It's a guide to walk you through this stuff. Great worksheets, some stories, uh, I designed it. It's, it's good looking. I think it's pretty. And it's free. Again, fizzleshow.co slash 51. If you're up to it, leave us an iTunes review. It'll help others find us. Here's, come, here's one from Tirano Rod in Brazil. Five stars. He says, this is the best no BS podcast about internet business there is. There are a lot of great podcasts out there, of course, but what makes this one unique is that it is not only actionable stuff to do, but honest day-to-day testimonial about what an internet business is actually like. Add to that the personal conversation style and high quality of the audio in such a small file. This blows my mind. A one-hour podcast with less than, less than 50 megabytes, and the quality is superb. And you have the best so- show someone who is looking to thrive in this kind of environment needs. Thanks, Tyranno Rod. I do work awful hard on these compression algorithms I'm using over here. So thanks for that. Leave us a review. It's the end of another month. We're almost halfway through the year. That's halfway through the year. I mean, we've got a month or two before we get there, but that's almost here. This is your life. What are you building? What are you doing with it? Here's to being a ragamuffin and learning who we are along the way. Thanks. See you next Fizzle Friday.